You are now tuned into Progressive Action Radio, the most objective show in America. Hosted by Tramel Thompson, co-hosted by Jamel Wilson, and DJ Damage is on the wheels of steel. You will never know what to expect when thoughts and wisdom unite. People. Get ready. 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 Progressive action is now live. What's going on, people? I'm your host, Jamel Thompson. I got my co-host, Jamel Wilson, with me. And last week was really, 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 really interesting. You know, we had Joe Campbell on the show. He's back again for part two. We didn't get a chance to elaborate on a lot of things. You know, a few things had... uh, transpired during this past week and we want to bring up a few suggestions and and bring up our opinions you know about union reps and how they supposed to respond we must we must understand that transit is a 24 7 operation which means that we expect union reps to be available 24 7 not when they feel like it you understand Right now, the union is in shambles, if you ask me. The union is, is, isn't strong. The, the, the membership do not believe in the union, if you want to completely be honest. And union reps, they don't get it. They need to get out in the field and ask the members. You know, don't go to your friends. Ask, to, ask the members who don't know you what, 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 what the relationship with the union is because it isn't strong. You understand what I'm saying? And in order to get it right, we must work beyond the means you know what i'm saying so don't think that you could come here and work a nine to five and think everything gonna be okay you got to answer the phone all times of the night because things isn't right here we trying to get it right that's what progressive action is about so all y'all union reps who think that y'all gonna get away with bs it's not gonna happen here and we just being real because people gonna start expressing how they feel here right or wrong jamel of course you know what I'm saying? People go express how they feel, and, and things go be more transparent here, and, you know, things go happen, like what, what happened in the group today, you know? We understand that, uh, you know, the girl had her frustrations, and, you know, the union rep, she came, and, and, you know, she said her part, and she's new, and we understand that, but we don't want the same kind of rhetoric to go on what we've been, we've been going on in past time. We want something. We want. We want people who are really interested because getting getting elected seems more like a popularity contest to me, and we need to stop that. It's not about that. People' livelihood be on the line sometimes, and you do need to answer the phone at whatever time of the night it is, or be more direct. You know, I put in the group Progressive Action, our own um, Facebook group, that you know it don't say nothing about RCC. It doesn't say anything about what times the union reps are going to be available. Maybe y'all need to change that because I look at that 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 uh, contact list and I, I expect everybody on that list to be available because nothing says that y'all not gonna be available at any time of the night, and we need to change that if we want to get more transparency between us. We need to change that. What you think, Jamel? Of course, you know that there needs to be a whole lot of transparency. You know, um, you know the members need to know what the union's next move is. The union. I mean, and the members even need to know what the union's agenda is. You know, that's very important. Yeah, because, you know, I, I, like I said at the last show, I'm tired of 
new business, old business. I don't know what that means. Nobody who's nobody's going to waste their time on going to a union meeting when y'all not specifying what it's about. I don't think that y'all get that. You know what I'm saying? And and a lot of people in the union, I'm not trying to put that down, put them down, but they don't come from, you know, um, what, what is it? Uh, professional environments, I would say, a corporate America environments. They don't even have, to be honest with you, a lot of them don't even have higher education. So they don't understand how a lot of things work. You know what I'm saying? This is this this union stuff has become a popularity contest and not a con not about the business, about who wants to make it better. Like I feel, and we have him on the show again today, Joe Campbell should have been president because he cares. I had I had a passion in him. He's here at, at 12 o'clock at night and has to be to work at 7 o'clock in the morning. So that says something to me. And he just recently lost. He don't have to be here. He could just give up. He only have a few few years left before he could retire. But he's here. You understand what I'm saying? So if he's here, I expect union reps to at least answer their phone at any given time, unless y'all specify what times y'all not available. But y'all need to be available 24-7. I don't care who's at RCC. I don't care about none of that. The union is not 100% like how NYPD got their thing with Pat Lynch. You understand what I'm saying? And we don't need to be falling, oh, they offered us, it, offered us this. We need to take that. We don't need that. As far as I'm concerned, if I'm a union rep, everybody's innocent to me. They got the rhetoric of you got to be guilty, you guilty first, and then you got to prove yourself innocent. We not going to do that. My union rep, if I'm representing y'all, I'm going to try to make get everything clear. We not going to do none of that, oh, we got to settle for this. What is that? You know what I'm saying? And let me bring up that thing that happened at Stillwell with, the, um, with that thing on the bulletin board. I know the union is thinking that, look, they got that off. We good. No. It's a policy out there. What's the name of that thing again? The um the 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 rule thing that we seen? Is it the disciplinary or pre- um well, the disciplinary manual where it talks about uh um that harassment and putting things on display is prohibited. Yeah, and intimidation. Intimidation. All, all that is prohibited. So, let me tell you this. Local 100, y'all need to handle that because at the end of the day, MTA is not nothing, letting nothing slide with us. Nothing slide. At the least you're getting is a, is a um, re-instruction. Whoever put that up at Stillwell need to be held totally responsible. And I'm going to make sure that Local 100 handles that. And if they don't handle that, I'm going to just put it on blast. That's what this show is for. We, we got to stop letting things slide. Y'all must understand that. But let's get back. Let's get to the show. Well, I have some things that I want to talk about, Travel. All right, let's get it. Um, you know, this is what happened during the week uh, on Facebook. And what I, would, I just, what I want to talk about is whenever we post a show, these shows on Facebook in these groups, particularly the Tucson show, um, people are out here a decade later, and they talk about, the strike and and it not being necessary and they talk about the sale of the building so you know <laughs> these are the two things <laughs> these are the two things that come up when they talk about how Tucson sold sold us out but my thing is this and I want and and I'm going to say this and some people may get offended and some people you know people who have intelligence will not get offended but my thing is this okay let's talk about when you talk about sellouts 
if you don't think this current administration sold you out, I don't know what planet you're living on. That last contract was the biggest sham of a, you know, it couldn't be more prepackaged, you know. And then, but my thing is, when y'all talk about Tucson selling y'all out, I'm like, listen, the sale of the building, okay, let's talk about the sale of the building. Now, during the week, Tramel posted up in the group the paperwork and the documents concerning the sale of the building. Okay, now my thing is this, right? People on Facebook talk this talk. Look, yeah, he sold us, yeah, the building, he did this, he did that. Okay, here's the documents, here's the paperwork. Here it is in black and white. Now my thing is, okay, now that you have your paperwork, you got to make sure that you're able to read it. Not basically read it, but read it as if, read it and understand what it says. Because, okay. listen, at the end of the day, the naysayers don't want to read. Because nobody said anything. One of the biggest things, even when I came here, old Toussaint sold the building, his wife was this, his wife was that. I posted all the documents, the official documents. Exactly. What did anybody say? Nothing. You know what I'm saying? They ain't say nothing. Right. You know, they like sleeping rats, you know? And, and, and the people that you mentioned that was there from, from 10 years ago, they still don't understand why they went on strike. No, they don't. They and, think that it was all about money, which 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 it wasn't. It was all about selling out the the, the unborn. Exactly. With with that tier six, because if y'all don't understand, tier six was trying to be implemented in 2005, and Toussaint was fighting against that. Now discipline is up, because at the end of the day, if a tier four member get fired, they not gonna replace you with another tier four member. They gonna replace you with a tier six member, which makes the company MTA save more money because you only could, it's only but so much money you could put into your pension without you have without you having the discipline to save your own money. And we also know that people don't have the discipline to know how to save their own money. You gotta rely on four one Ks, four fifty sevens, and all that other kind of crazy stuff. You know what I'm saying? Of course. And then another thing is they talk about the strike. My thing is this, people, listen. Roger Tucson is not an ignorant person. This is, yeah, I find him to be an intelligent person. And I find him to be a fighter, okay, which is what a lot of people around here portray themselves to be a fighter. Yeah, I'm a fighter from the hood. I did this. I did that back in the day. Lies, I lies, did this, lies. Okay? My thing is this, right? This man went to bat with the, the toughest people that there were back then, politicians. You're talking about Mayor Bloomberg, okay? Even though he, did, he was the mayor of New York City, and he didn't control the MTA, okay? But he had board members on there. But you're talking about a member of the top 1% in this country, okay? You're talking about people like former Governor Pataki, okay? Right, again, right-wing ideology. You're talking about Gary DeLarison, who currently happens to be on the um, panel of New Jersey Transit, okay? That's another topic we're going to talk about tonight. And then you're talking about uh, Peter Calico. So basically, this is what that administration was up against back then, tough right-wing ideological people that did not, that wanted to crush unions. And basically, um, by we still are a powerful force, TW Local 100. So to crush us, everybody else would look like, oh, wow, oh, things ain't right, you know? So my thing is also, um, the executive board back then voted 37 to four to strike, okay? so. The president can't just do whatever he feels like it, okay? The executive board has to vote on these things. So when people say that the strike was unnecessary, 
I'm like, this, these are people that don't follow politics. These are people that don't follow what's going on and don't understand what it is to fight. And then also, like he said 10 years ago on the news, listen, predominantly, our job is predominantly, our job is dominated by blacks, okay, blacks and Spanish. So basically, this is also what the ideology was because we wouldn't understand what it is that they were, all the nonsense they were putting on the table back then. So this is where Roger Toussaint, being of a Caribbean descent, still black, would have it in him to go and fight up against these people against that, okay? Yeah, of course. Now, what I want y'all to understand is that, we go get this clear, I have never been in trouble with MTA. I'm not a disgruntled employee. I actually have a, a great attendance record. I love working on the train. I love dealing with the people. My fight actually began in, in, in years ago, you know what I'm saying? And I actually went to war with NYPD, if y'all don't know, as far as winning the case against them stopping and frisking me. I was one of the first people in New York to win a case against New York by myself, no lawyer. I fought it myself for stopping and frisking me. If you look into my Facebook group, Progressive Action, I posted the paperwork in black and white. So don't think that I'm one of these run-in-the-mill fighters. I went against NYPD who could have the biggest target on my back. I'm not worried about MTA having a, a target on my back. The most they go do is put some system safety guys to make sure that I'm operating as per school call. And I love operating as per school call. So you'll be wasting your time doing that. You understand? I went against NYPD. I stood my ground and I won. And, and, and the city tried to shut me up from, from broadcasting my lawsuit because they don't want to pay all this money to other people that they stop and frisk. If you notice, after my case, the, the rhetoric of stop and frisk have changed and they, and they tried to stop it and say it's unconstitutional because they knew what they was against if I was to speak. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want y'all to get it twisted like I, I'm just running my mouth or anything like that. I actually stood up probably more than any union rep that's in Local 100 right now, elected, whoever y'all elected. I'm a real fighter, so we not going to get that twisted. If you want to see the facts, you go inside the Facebook group, Progressive Action, and you can see it. But we got the man in the hour here, Joe Campbell, for part two. What's up, Joe? What's up, guys? Nice to be back. Hello, everybody out there. Joe, how you feel about the, um, your, your, your first appearance on the show? I thought it was great. I was disappointed when it ended. Those two hours went by fast. <laughs> well, oh, you, yeah. you, you the first guest to come back to back, I would like to say. And, you know, we happy to have you back. You know, we missed a lot of things, but we go definitely cover it tonight. Oh, and, yeah. and if we don't cover it tonight, you just be back again. For part three. No problem. <laughs> it, it, the, saga, the saga always <laughs> continue with Joe Campbell. He's going to be regular here. In fact, I told him that he could come up here whenever he want. You know what I'm saying? If he, whatever it is he want to do, he could come up here. He has a lot of great information. He's very knowledgeable. I actually look up to him, and I, and I don't know if I told Joe this, but because of the uh, shop gate or whatever kind of gate it was at Stillwell, he influenced me to, to do something better for the union, and, and that's why I came up with this radio show. That's why I would actually – I didn't agree with y'all at first. I didn't agree with you at – you, when, when it came to education, I bumped heads with a, with a lot of the people that was on your slate, and it was respectful, you know what I'm saying? But after me getting to know you and, and, and see your rhetoric on Facebook and stuff like that, I told Jamel, I said, yo, Jamel, I like, I like Joe. I said, I like Joe, but I never said it in, in public, but I was like, I like Joe. 
So, you know, Jamel actually reached out to you first and be like, you know, I want to get him on the show. And, and that, I was like, cuz we got to have him on the show. I like what he's talking. You know what I'm saying? And I was upset that I said, I told Jamel, I said, why wasn't Joe talking this during his campaign? Which I didn't understand because I believe if you were to talk what you was, especially, you know, what you were saying lately in Facebook, I believe you would have won because you would have resonated with the, with the people on a different level. Because I, I didn't think it had to be so political, but if you would have came with, look, MTA is this, the union is this, I stand for this, I believe, totally believe you would have won. That's why I was like, when I seen you talking that, I was like, Joe talking my type of talk right of now. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I told you, I said, Joe talking my talk. I, I'll never forget that morning when I woke <laughs> up and I saw all that stuff. I said, oh, wow. I said, wow, man. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. you know, it, I'm, I'm glad that you um, expressed, expressed that part of you. I really appreciate it. You, you are very knowledgeable. And I see you, like, I like Toussaint. I like you. I like you also. So whenever I need something, knowledge, I know I could ring your phone. I could call Toussaint. And it don't get no better than y'all two. Phil got the bases covered. That's one hell of a compliment. I gotta <laughs> tell you that. That's thanks a lot. I appreciate that. So you know, um, we want to get into the to, to to the discipline thing, as far as like um, you know how discipline work, the discipline numbers, um, and just recently inside the group, I seen you commented on a post that you wanted to hear. I think her name was Ashley, Sumter. And you wanted her to elaborate on, on, on you know, she uh, got uh, some type of, what, what it was? Re-instruction. Re-instruction. Re-instruction for, for proper, what is it, communication or something Improper like that? Improper communication. Yeah. Um, she didn't establish communication or whatever the case was. And that and they and they gave her um, whatever we call it, which, which they said it wasn't a write-up. It wasn't go, whatever it was, it wasn't a write-up, a reprimand. No, well, hold on. A re-instruction. Well, re-instruction. A re-instruction. Is not was she was told that a re, a instruction is not considered um, a discipline. A discipline is, is that true? Well, um, two thousand two contract attachment um, B um, will outline what a departmental discipline is, at, which is different than labor relations discipline. So the departmental discipline, probably what she was getting was a written. Um, warning or a, a, a verbal warning, that kind of thing, which is supposed to like disappear from your jacket after a year, and it doesn't really get into your Dan history, um, which would prevent you from like maybe getting a promotion or you know leave something hanging over your head that would have to you know uh, decrease. As in, in 2.1 of the contract talks about progressive discipline and how you know your time without a discipline decreases your penalty to the point where it disappears even after three years. So that's probably what she was talking about. She probably got something like a departmental, which really isn't the discipline and it shouldn't stop you from promoting or, or hurting you in any way. Okay, now let me ask you, is it, is it progressive? Well, after that, you know, that's when they'll move into the uh, progression that's outlined in 2.1. Okay, now we spoke to a union rep today and you know, she mentioned to me that uh, things stay on your record for five to seven years? No, after three years, it's supposed to disappear. Right, I mean, they years. could look up and find out you were written up 25 years ago, but it should, <laughs> it should never affect anything that's happening to you. Three years, and you have a clean slate if nothing else happened in that track. Because there's different tracks. 
you got time and attendance, you have job performance, and you have like a serious track. Like, you know, that would be like stealing, fraud, <laughs> uh, violence. You know, that's different. Right. And, and then there's a track for titles with um, the titles that hold CDL licenses. Oh, yeah, right. You have a track for them with safety violations. Right. Yeah. So, um, what kind of advice could you give to her? Because you've seen the posts inside the group. Actually, the the one that the one I saw something different. The one that you're talking about, I really didn't get to see that one. Okay. Um, what what I, I I commented on her um, when when it when it came to um, she couldn't get in touch with a union rep. Yeah, which we feel. You know, I, I touched on that in the beginning of the show. I don't feel that this union is a hundred percent where they could be lax to, to pick and choose when the answer calls? You know, in, 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 in departments that work really 24-7, in other words, they have a lot of people working at night, p.m. and midnight, there should be either an on-call or a rotation of reps. That, and, you know, if I'm the president, that's, that's the accountability that I want to see from the reps, that there is a rotation and there's a, a, a presence out at night. A, a crew that's going around and showing their presence. So management doesn't know when they're going to pop up, but they're always available as well to be called to a, the scene of a safety issue. Something really serious like safety and health, they have to be there. So, so if you're the president and you see a situation go down like that in a Facebook group where a rep, a, a member couldn't get in touch with a rep, and it's been over 24 hours, how would you respond to that? Well, there's, that, that's accountability. Um, I, I, I'm not going to assume right away that it's somebody's fault for being lazy. Um, could be a miscommunication, whatever. So we would have to you know, uh, talk about it. We'd have to meet, we'd have to get the vice president involved and say, okay, this can't happen again. These people pay us. They, can't, they cannot have this, uh, this vision of their union that, it, it, that, that, that the union is incompetent, the union's not going to be there, the union's not going to help you, there's no strength on the floor, management's not um, considering the union ever in any action that they take. I mean, that should be the first thing in their mind. Management's like, if I do this, the union's going to show up. I don't want that. You know, that has to be first. Not, not that we're reactive and then we show up when management does something we don't like or a safety and health issue isn't being taken care of, that what, what we do is, is, is management is held responsible for any health and safety issue that takes place and doesn't leave the onus on the member to, to make the decision whether they're going to follow that order or not. So, so we establish the presence in the field, and then our reps are on call. And they will, you know, um, they might have to filter some things out. You don't know what's going to, how many things are going to happen at night. You can have a 12-9 going on over here. Somebody can get hurt on a track job over here. It could be a bus accident over there. And, is, and, and, you know, so, so, so the union probably at night does get stretched in, but everybody should, you know, the call should be prioritized and everybody should be at least spoken to um, when they make that call. And you're right about the information. The information needs to be out there. Let's say your stations. Who's on call on what day? And this is their number. So there's no mix-up. The paper you showed had a whole bunch of names and a whole bunch of numbers. You start calling down that line. How many <laughs> before somebody answers the phone? Somebody might answer the phone. Somebody might not. But when you get to the sixth or seventh number, you start to wonder if anybody's going to answer the phone. And sometimes the things that happen, you know, they, you don't have the time to be calling that whole list. You, you want to know exactly what number to go to. Of, of course, because, it's because you, you know, basically what it is is human nature. 
depending upon what time of night. Or let's say like right now, this time of night, if something happened, people will look at their phone and they'll be like, okay, I ain't, you know, they'll ignore the call. You know, it's sad, but back, you know, but because see now there's no excuse for union reps and, and that's still going on because, you know, back in the day, 15, 16 years ago when cell phones weren't, I mean, you had cell phones, but it wasn't, you know, like, you know, like what it is today. Union reps in these in these divisions still had phones in the office, and that's it. Okay, but now you have various forms of communication, so there's no excuse. If you run for office and you want to be elected, you should be again. You know, you should be available 24/7 to speak to members when they have issues out there in the field, or you should be ready, or you should have people just like you said rotating. Okay, because you know, that's inexcusable with the way people have to hunt around for a union rep. Now, let me ask you this, Joe. You know, discipline shouldn't only work one way as far as towards the, the, the hourly, as we could say. You know, a situation happened at Stillwell when I feel that they put up information where it say learn from others. And uh, I feel it was made to harass and intimidate because you can't learn from others by putting up incidents. If you actually want to learn from others, you have to show examples, show examples, and um, and and probably probably train better. You know what I'm saying? So I felt that by management putting that up, it was totally illegal because it was made to intimidate and harass. Well, it certainly wasn't constructive. Um, that's management's way. Um, this is a contract year, so you're probably going to see a lot of nonsense out there like that. Some of it we probably won't even see. It's a big system. But management does that to make you feel like you're not worthy to even question whether or not you make enough money or you work in a safe environment or, um, you know, in other words, like you're looking at a whole list of people that they say screwed up. And then the first thing you're thinking of is, Damn, I'm, glad, I'm glad I'm not on that list. I'm going <laughs> to try not to get on that list. And, I'm not, and you're not going to be speaking up. You know, you want to you you hide. You want to step back. You want to go under the table. You don't want to be, you know, uh, singled out. So that, that's a, that's a, that's a, a method of, 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 of intimidation and um, humiliation. Basically. And you know what was crazy? Because I was at Stillwell all those days. You ever seen people go up to a casket and just pay their respects and be quiet? That's how people was going up to that bulletin board. They was going up there quiet, whispering like they were standing in front of a, of a casket. And from what I understand is that a union rep did come up there it came down, but the negotiation was to redact information, identifiable information from it, and put it back up, which was a horrible negotiation. Horrible, and, and that to me, that was a sign of inexperience, lack of knowledge, and just total, total bad negotiation. And I feel that, till right now, whoever put that up need to be held responsible. And without, the way I would attack it is that whoever put it up, I would name them in the G2, and then let them tell. Because at the end of the day, CYA, which stands for cover your ass, applies to anybody when their job is on the line. And see, then, and then also to piggyback off of, what's, of that situation with Stillwell and all, and all across the board with these managers. And, you know, I'm going to say this here. And, you know, not, people have to understand on the job that not just the hourlies are subject to the rules and regulations and EEOC policies and discrimination and all these things. Everybody, all employees all the way up the ladder are responsible and are, and, and I'm subjected to these rules and regulations. So, but 
when people get into positions of superintendents on up, they think that they're above the rules and everything. But no, everybody is subject to it. And really, it's even worse the higher up you go because you don't, you know, you're not a part of a bargaining unit anymore. You know, that was their reason if they wanted to become a part of a bargaining unit. You know, but that's, you know, but that's, but that's <laughs> another subject, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's another topic, you know. But my thing is, again, these managers and people, you do not own the company. You do not own, you do not, you, you, you do not own transit, okay. Even if you make policy, understand something, you are put there in that position, okay. And there are people, um, you know, there are people higher up than you that can fire you. Just as matter of fact, easier. So my thing is, all these people, you know, and you talking about the people who put up that stuff at Stillwell, a super at the supervisory level, low level supervisory. So who are you? Even though it's contract time, <laughs> who are you to put up stuff like that and intimidate your own basically people? I mean, you know, we're all you know we're all on the wheel here working for this place. But you, you know, know what? what? People people forget where they came from. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because nobody comes from the outside and get promoted to supervision as far as, like, superintendent or anything like that. You had to climb through the ranks. And some people forget where they came from. Well, not everybody. Some but but people... you know, another thing, like you said, you said something important as far as, um, I, I, I forgot exactly, but they want to, they, supervisors want to unionize now. Right. As far as um superintendents and things like that. Superintendents management, yes. Because they realize what's going on. The only people who safe in MTA is the people who the governor appoint. Y'all need to understand that. The people that's on that, that board is the only people that's safe. Everybody is fooled. So really, if the union decide to push the issue on that thing that's still well, people will be fired because I actually posted the information on Progressive Action Facebook page that says that it's totally prohibited to do that. So the union need to handle that. Getting it pulled off the bulletin board isn't a win because as far as I'm concerned, when you go to 2 Broadway, you're not walking out there with a win. You're walking out of there with some type of package attached to you, whether it's reinstruction or days in the street. Right or wrong, Joe? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, as far as that, that goes, I, I believe that the order comes down from labor relations. See, right now, at this point, they see a, uh, contract negotiations will be happening sometime. I mean, if, if, if I was a the president, it'd be happening now. But you, we probably going to have to wait a while till after the summer before you even start, you know, hearing a buzz. But labor relations is already getting their ducks in a row. So you're going to start to see newspaper articles talking about our overtime. Uh, overpaid transit workers. What like what, what, what like recently? Yes, that, that that's part of the course. That's in their playbook, right? That's in their playbook. That thing at Stillwell will happen in other places. That's in their playbook. You might even see a newsletter come out because there was one called Labor Lines that had nothing to do with labor. It came from from labor relations, and they would put out stories about transit workers that messed up or you know that they were accused of messing up. And, and it, was, it was meant for us to, like, read this thing on, a, on the bulletin board and ridicule our own people. It's, it's meant to demoralize the membership and take the fight out or take the anger out or take the expectations away. 
So that's, that's what we face from labor relations. That's in, their, that's in their playbook. You know, funny thing about labor relations, that's the worst misnomer that there is. There is nothing about them that's labor or it, that they intend to have any kind of relations with us. They're, they're, they're the, the, the wing of the company that's there to take out the union, to make the union weak and, to make, and fight against the union. That is their, their sole purpose. You no, know what's crazy about that? Why doesn't the union fight against them relentlessly? You know why? Because here's the thing, right? And, you know, I'm not saying this about, you know, anybody in particular, but, and, and, and we'll go back to, you know, a terrible time in human history and Nazi Germany, right? Now, you had Nazi Germany and you had the army, and, you, you know, you saw that they all have proud uniforms and all that, but you also had the SS and the Gestapo. That's a different wing. Even the army was afraid of them. When they said something, you did it. There was fear. Within, within transit, you have labor relations. When they say something, operational management does it. If they say hang up humiliating stories about members, operational management does it. And one of the things when I was a division officer in the chair and so many chief mechanical officers you know, that came through car equipment, and one of the discussions that I would always have is, and, and Nelson Rivera, too, as a vice president, you know, we always worked hand in hand for years, why are you letting labor relations get in the way of how we do business? Because every time that we come up with a good idea, they knock it down. And they don't knock it down because they're interested in production or a better system or a better way to operate. They knock it down because it's like, well, the union wants it. It must be bad. We don't want to give them something that they want. They have to negotiate for it, pay for it. And sometimes it's just simple logic that, hey, you know, you can get, you know, where I come from, we fix trains, right? So you can get more trains out doing this, and it's a win-win. Oh, Labor Relations says, no, we can't do that. So, I mean, they, they get in our way all the time. Now, you know, while, while I'm jumping all over labor relations, and, and this is something that we should probably be talking about all the way, you know, uh, on a show like this, all the way through into negotiations, because everything that you see from now on is going to come out of there. They already had their big meeting um, and, and, and told operational managers how labor relations will be dealing with the union and how operational management will be do, dealing with the union from this point on. What, what's, what's the big mean, the meeting? It's, for, it's meant to be an educational meeting. For, for who exactly? For, that labor relations teaching operational management and junior labor relations officers from now, from this point on, how they will be dealing with the union. Okay. Um, even my name was mentioned, but my name was mentioned in a, in, in, in a way that uh, was an example about how, how uh, officers from this point on will be dealing with other officers, and, and especially within union politics. Do you think labor relations fear the union? No, not at all. Um, they did at one time. Um, as a matter of fact, the strike, you know, and which we might talk about later on as, 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 as an entire subject, but the strike, um, uh, one of the residual effects, positive residual effect afterwards was the wholesale firing of a lot of uh, top labor relations officers that were responsible for provoking the strike. Um, and and these, these, guys, these guys are real professionals. I mean, these guys are, you know, anti-union, slam the union. You know, these, that's their, their reason for living. And they, and, and they got rid of them. I mean, you mentioned one of them, right? Gary DeLavison. Uh -huh. that, that man is like a super villain. Oh, yeah. You know, he <laughs> he's he's it does not surprise me that New Jersey Transit is out there rallying and talking about striking 
and Gary DeLavison is in charge. Heard, it does not surprise me at all. Of course. I, when I heard his name today, I was listening to Talk Radio earlier today when I was at work, and I heard his name. I said, oh, oh really? Okay, no wonder. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I remember that name, Gary DeLavison. You right. Know? And he was over at the Long Island Railroad, I think, as the chief financial officer when the railroad was upset. I'm, I hope I have my timing right, but, you know, I mean... If he wasn't there at that moment, I'm sure that his, his length of time there had something to do with the union and management, um, you know, having an abrasive uh, relationship. Right. Now, here's a newspaper article, right, that I have on my Facebook uh, page here from the Daily News. It was put out yesterday um, on, uh, on Wednesday at 10.15 p.m. Is an article here talking about the MTA, how the MTA paid out. $876 million in overtime in 2015, and some made three times their salary. Now, the top person is a person, is a track foreman from Long Island Railroad <laughs> that made 200, that made a little over a quarter of a million dollars on, in let, overtime. Hold on, let, let's clear that up. Long Island Railroad makes way more money than New York City the Transit. The New York City Transit, okay? And that's why I say Long Island Railroad executives, Long Island Railroad management, and Metro North management and executives make way more money than transit executives and management. So to slap you, to slap them in their face every time y'all come with this discipline and to slap y'all in your face every time y'all have these attitudes, y'all manage a bigger system that carries more people. Those people manage a system that carries crumbs compared to what we carry and, they get, and, they, and they're getting paid more money. So how does it make y'all feel? Joe, let me ask you that. Why do you think is, that's the case? That they make more money than yeah, we do? Yeah. I, you know what? I thought about that. <laughs> I mean, the only thing I can think of is commuter railroad. I mean, that's the only thing they have in common with themselves, and they don't have in common with us. <laughs> and I don't know why that is. Basically institutional bull. Yeah, yeah. I think we, yeah, we, we touched on that last time. Of now, course. <laughs> now, we, we, we talk about this all the time, but, you know, we want to um, educate the listeners about what's going on in California with the um, Fredericks versus California and the whole teachers thing. Well, you know, and, and Scalia dying and actually slowing up the process uh, of that whole thing. Can you elaborate on that? Who told me that somebody gave me an analogy? Um, they said that it was it was it was quite good. I use it now. Um, they pointed the gun at us and the gun jammed. <laughs> it was a good jam. Yeah. <laughs> was, said that. You said that? Yeah, we were staring down the barrel of a gun. And it jammed. And it jammed, yeah. Right. But that, what they're doing now is they're unjamming it because um, the timely death of uh, Justice uh, Scalia. <laughs> timely. <laughs> um, you know, only, only temporarily. Uh, put, I, there's a twofold. Um, Strategy here. Now, the first one was Friedrichs uh, versus California Teachers Association. And for, for, for our listeners that, you know, aren't familiar with it, it's a um, et al. Um, case in front of the Supreme Court. Um, it's a First Amendment case. Um, and it talks about people, members of a union not wanting to pay their dues if they don't believe um, in what the union stands for or, or, or the union's political stand or it could be with anything it could be a social justice issue it could be anything housing whatever but they don't feel that they should be they, sh they should have to pay dues and of course the conservative think tanks are running with this saying yeah that sounds like a great idea um it's a public employee issue um and what it, what is really what it's really looking to do is it's looking to weaken the unions by taking away closed shop 
um, uh, status. Closed shop, closed shop status, really what it meant for public employees, it gave, it, 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 it gave in other words, like they're saying, you can't strike, but what we'll do is we'll, we'll make sure that you're guaranteed the right to bargain and we'll guarantee you a closed shop and, and the dues that you collect from everybody, you know, your, your union can function properly or whatever. There'll be an arbitration process for you to go through and so on, so on, so on, right? In New York State, there's the Taylor Law. Now, the Taylor Law, um, it guarantees us collective bargaining. See, a lot of people think there's just bad stuff in there. You strike, president goes to jail, you lose dues checkoff, um, two days pay for every day you're out, so on and so forth. But what it also did was it gave us the arbitration process and it gave us the right to collective bargaining. Prior to that, we didn't have the right to collective bargaining. Mike Quill used to force collective bargaining on the employer. Um, in other words, saying, you, you bargain with us or, or we're going out. Eventually, you know, it, it just became part of the system and management recognized the union. But the, the Taylor Law guaranteed it. So, so now if, if Friedrichs was successful... And they say that you lose closed shop status, basically making all public employees right to work, whether you're in a right to work state or not. Then, then and, you, and your dues, let's say it jumps down to 60 percent, 65 percent. You don't have the ability to fight anymore. Your, your, your finances are gone. It, so so what happens now is um, you have a Taylor law that you no longer have the benefits of it. You just have the punishment of it. And, and they're okay with that, you know, on the conservative side, because they want to weaken unions. Now, the second part of that is, um, and, and we mentioned, you know, ALEC, right? And, that, yeah. and, and, and ALEC is basically a conservative group that um, after, they, after the uh, corporate lobbyists um, pay off all the, the representatives after the election, then they call them all in a room and they say, okay, this is what you're going to do to earn that money. And, and they start putting out very conservative, very pro-business um, legislation, le legislation that they're expecting those representatives to pass. Now, now real quick, for the, for the listeners who don't know who ALEC, ALEC is, it's an acronym that stands for American Legislative Exchange Council. Right. And that's, that's basically a, 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 an independent, um, conservative uh, conglomerate of lobbyists and 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 they hold these meetings and the meetings are very exclusive and they bring the politicians in there and they tell them dude i gave you all this money to get elected you got elected this is what i want mm -hmm. so a lot of the stuff that 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 they put forward because you don't have representatives in government anymore that are going to stand up for you the only body that's left is is labor the unions so now Friedrich is over here trying to take away our ability to fight and, and, and barely hold our nose above water. And then on this side, Alec is, is, is pushing politicians to pass legislation that we will not be able to fight against. And then not only that, not only are they trying to take away that, they also go take away the Democratic vote because a lot of unions support Democrats. Yeah, well, you know what? When it comes to corporatism, there, there's a very fine line there. Um, Democrats and Republicans, a lot of them are guilty of taking corporate money. They're going to they're gonna feed from that trough before they feed from any trough that we could provide. Now, you know, you just explained all these things. And for, the, for our local union reps, I'm surprised that they're not fighting as hard as they should be and more, be more involved and in tune with the union because... Nick Bedell mentioned this during our shop steward class, and he did say that we in trouble 
if this thing goes down in California. And the, and the thing with that is, I explained to him, I said, if that was to go down, I believe NYPD will be good, sanitation will be good, and the fire department will be good because they believe in a union and they will continue to pay. But New York City Transit, it's not going to happen. I yeah. believe that we're not going to pay. I, 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 I believe that too. Um, there will be a fall off. Uh, people who are cynical about their union will fall off. There's no doubt about it. Education is probably the best thing we can do to try to hold that, put as many fingers in that dam as possible. Um, but, you know, I mean, if we, we have time. We bought time. This, 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 this Supreme Court decision was going to come out in June. We bought time. Um, and, you know, if we're fortunate enough to put in somebody to, 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 to replace um, the ninth person, right? Yeah, there's nine. Ninth person, yeah, there's yeah. nine, yes. Um, then then, then that, that, that will, you know, see through this thing for what it is, that it's union busting, it's not really a First Amendment, you know, uh, argument, that, you know, we can live to fight another day. But I was just curious because I saw some unions down um, at Capitol Hill rallying. And, and, of course, when it comes to rallying, you're also leafleting people and, and getting press and, and news on yourself. I did not see TWU. Now, I'm just curious as to why not, because we, all right, we, we, we're, we're local 100 in New York City, and a lot of us, most of us, are city. So we, we have tail law, MTA bus, and New York City Transit, NOA, um, come under that. Um, so there's a closed shop status situation going on there, um, public employee-wise. But we also have airlines, like American Airlines and Southwest Airlines, that are also come under federal regulations very similar, if not exact, to the Long Island Railroad, where there is also restrictions on, on going on strike, and you got to go through this and that and that and that um, before you can get to that, that uh, that juncture federal mediators right no well, yeah you got to go through all that so so this affects them too so the so the TWU's greatest strength its airline division and its transit division is affected by this and yet not a single peep we did not show up down there and and, and call a rally or anything I mean busloads of transit workers should have been going down there I mean there were other unions down there um, I saw them. We don't get a lot of press, but, you know, you have to dig for it. But I saw it. I mean, it's the same thing with, with New Jersey Transit. They held a um, rally at, in Woodbridge. Where were we? Why couldn't we fill up a couple of buses of transit workers and go out to Woodbridge and stand with New Jersey Transit? Well, who would you, who would you hold responsible, responsible for mobilizing that? Well, that's definitely the, the responsibility of the leadership. You know, leadership pulls the executive committee together and says, guys, we got to stand by our New Jersey Transit brothers. Their contract will probably directly affect ours. They're on the front lines right now. This, is, this actually mirrors the Long Island Railroad debacle. And I hope that we're not looking to, like, you know, jump into a fight and then back out again and leave them in the foxhole like we did the Long Island Railroad. If I was New Jersey Transit, I would not trust us. <laughs> exactly. I mean, when, you, know, when you, you know, when you have a lot of the membership that said, oh, well, it doesn't affect us. But I'm saying to myself, retards, people come from Jersey and come into New York City and ride our system. Everybody, people who ride the Long Island Railroad, people who ride the Metro North, people who ride the New Jersey Transit, people who ride these other systems that come to New York to continue their trip wherever they're going, they ride our system, whether it be the bus or the train for how many, however many stops. So definitely it's, you know, it's, you, you know, basically we should support them, you know? Yeah, I mean, you got, 
I think I saw management from New Jersey Transit threaten the union by saying anybody that's out sick um, is not going to get paid their sick time if you guys strike. I mean, this is like, you know, <laughs> this is this is typically what happens. You know, instead of trying to amicably come to a situation that everybody can agree with, the first thing you do is throw out the threat. Right. And um, and what does that do? That that everyone starts to circle the wagons. It, it, things get tougher. The union's not going to back down on that. No union worth its salt is going to back down on something like that. Right. It's crazy. So I mean, we we touched on that. How you feel about what's going on with the political things as far as with Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Philip Byrne, Bernie Sanders? <laughs> Well, you know, I made it obvious that um, I support Senator Sanders. I first met Bernie at a climate conference in Manhattan at the Teachers Union back, I think it was 2007. And um, I, did, I didn't know much about him except, you know, what you might see pop up on C-SPAN. You know, who watches C-SPAN? But <laughs> I felt bad for the guy because, you know, he's up there pointing that finger because he always got that finger going. And, and then, like, the camera would turn around and look at the room, and it's like nobody there. <laughs> He's yelling at seats. He's not yelling at people, but he was, he was speaking the right – he was talking the talk that I like to hear. He was talking about working people. He's been doing that his whole life. Um, Killer Mike, he got up, and he, he said something at a, um, at a rally that – he said that – he goes, the guy that I want to follow is the guy that I saw the police drag away, chained to a black woman that they were trying to arrest at an anti-segregation rally. And this, is, this was before I was born. You know, you got to have this guy's back. Of course. If this guy says he wants to be president and he's going to do this, he's right. Everything he said is right. They cannot attack him on the issues that br he brings up. So what do they try to do? They try to attack him on his politics. They try to call him a communist and this and that. Bernie Sanders comes from the left. He's proud of that. He'll tell you that. You know, but there's a whole lot of gray area in that left you know he's not he's not the left that we think of at that that we've been told by the republicans for so many years that left is communism and right is normal um that's that's not where he comes from the left that we're talking about and even the socialistic values that he talks about is a european model and 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 when he talks about medical the Affordable Health Care Act was, was great. A lot of people you know, know it as Obamacare. I don't like to call it that because I think that's, that's not a, that was meant to be an insult when they, when they came up with that name. Right. But now it's become normal to say. But the Affordable Care Act helped a lot of people but didn't go all the way. Bernie's talking about Medicare for all. Um, this country can afford it. He says again, this is the wealthiest country in the history of mankind. Why can't we provide health care as a human right for our people. Anybody who says that, I'm with that. Exactly. And, and, and Bernie Sanders always, um, I'm supporting Senator Sanders also in this election. I'm not supporting Hillary Clinton, and I'll talk about that, okay? But my thing is, again, um, you know, when I look at the footage and when I, and I research um, Senator Sanders, he's basically been talking the same thing, just like you said, for the past 30 years beyond that, Okay. And of course, he was down. He was he, he was down with down for civil rights in his own way. He was in the struggle, okay. And he didn't have to be, all right. And then also, my thing is is consistency. He always talks about income inequality, okay. And some people, I I listen to Al Sharpton's show and I listen to other talk radio shows and stuff. Cause I'm a talk radio junkie, and I hear 
African-Americans and blacks call in and say the ridiculous, the most ridiculous things about him, he's old. Hillary Clinton is five years his junior. Um, they say, oh, well, he always talks about money and income inequality. Dumb, dumb. The things that are going on in this country, okay, when it comes to African-Americans and um, when it comes to being poor, when it comes to you being locked up, when it comes to the things that you do to survive and then you get locked up, these prisons, the core, in my educated opinion, the core of these problems is the income disparities and the income inequality and the lack of opportunity to get ahead and the lack of opportunity to get yourself into the middle class. Because when you give a certain demographic of people in certain neighborhoods this opportunity to do these things, then you don't have to worry about them ending up in prison, okay? But when you take these things away from them, then social engineering, what Tramel talks about, you're basically susceptible to be to do something dumb to where it's like, okay, eventually this person's gonna end up in prison. And they and the powers that be know it. Okay. Like I supported Hillary Clinton back in two thousand eight because I wasn't sure. I just I, I wanted somebody to just beat Bush, okay, because we had enough of that. Okay. Let me ask and you something. And I know that why and did, I, why didn't you like Bush? I didn't like Bush because he ran this country into the ground. From a financial standpoint. I, I disagree. Why do you disagree? Because uh, Clinton, Bill Clinton, actually set that, that up to run his program into the ground. Because what you, have, what you must understand is that what a president put into effect, it doesn't actually take action until basically after he leaves. So when you look at Bill Clinton and after, that didn't take effect right away. It took effect during Bush, while Bush was president, so it made it look like he put the, the, the country in financial deficit, which he didn't. Because Clinton, with NAFTA, um, you know, companies, big companies, was able to transfer jobs overseas for cheaper labor. So it actually messed up America business. And people blame a lot of stuff on Bush. But Clinton, Bill Clinton, was actually one of the worst presidents that we actually, got, we actually had. And if you ask, a lot of African Americans relate to Bush. I mean, to, to Clinton. And you ask them, why, they, why you like Clinton? Oh, he played the saxophone. You ask a man, to, look, we gonna be totally honest on the show. Why, you ask a, a black male why he liked Clinton. Oh, he got head while he was at work. He smoked marijuana. Give me anything reasonable why, why you would like Clinton. Well, he didn't inhale it. I mean, why would you smoke it <laughs> if you don't inhale it? <laughs> but um, actually, NAFTA was written by Daddy Bush. It, 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 it came out later on. Clinton spoke out against it, Bill Clinton, um, in 1992. But he saw it as a compromise that was going to get um, health care passed for Hillary's you know, pet project. But so he, he throws NAFTA out there, and then the Republicans didn't respond to health care. So he kind of like got, he got, he got beat on the deal, right? So now when, when he put it out there, then he started bragging about it because he had to. This is a great idea. And then, like you said, later on, it started to take effect when everyone said, hey, man, let's just go to Mexico. Um, bad economies caused that, right? That's, 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 that's the, uh, the best way for, you know, a corporation to run on out of here. They say, well, bad economy, so, so the spending is down. M people don't have money. So now we got a lower manufacturing cost. And that's when they bolt. Then, then they're able to take NAFTA and run with it. Now, this same thing, right? This bad economy that took place that... 
I don't believe the middle class um, came back from that. I mean, we see Wall Street came back from it. Of course. We, we, middle class didn't come back. Right. So, so, so the companies now are going, they're taking this stuff down to Mexico and China and all that, and now they're selling it back into the United States, and they're keeping the majority of the profit. They're not really keeping prices down. They're keeping stockholder um, income up. Like, for instance, when we talk, and this, this, this wasn't fair for Bernie, you know, getting back to Bernie in, in Michigan, right, which was a tremendous victory for Bernie, even though it was close, because he was 20 points down in the polls, which I'll tell you the truth now, when I hear a poll about Bernie, I don't trust it anymore. Of course. <laughs> I don't think those people that polling show up. But in, 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 in Michigan, Michigan probably got hit hardest by NAFTA when it comes to a, one single industry. And when we did the, the auto bailout, Right. And that's what Hillary tried to hit Bernie on. Oh, yeah. You, you did. Yeah, we did. the. You were against the auto bailout, but the auto bailout saved the industry. Well, we didn't save the workers. We saved the stockholders. Right. GM still took its cars and, 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 its, and its factories to Mexico. They didn't you know, they didn't bring out people there, but but the stockholders still maintain their profit margin. So we didn't save the working class there. Now, a lot of people in Michigan knew this especially the people that aren't working anymore. You're going to tell a guy whose factory moved out of there that the bailout helped him. And he's going to be like, what? You know, I mean, this is, th th these people saw this. So Bernie's, Bernie Sanders' um, constituency are enlightened Democrats and independents. Independents that would, that would move towards the left. That's anti-establishment. That's, that's where, if you, if, if you were going to look at a demographic not white, black, just political ideology. And you would see that his, that's where he's coming from. But the same thing about Trump. Trump is also picking up independence on the right side, anti-establishment on the right. Um, you, when you look at Hillary, she's, she's holding on to an establishment in a game that is so unfair to, to Senator Sanders. And the fact that he's still in this thing is a miracle. And you got to give him and his volunteers credit. Oh, yeah, so, definitely. So, yeah. Let me make an analogy because this, I, I, I tried to put together a little analogy today on social media, but let me see if I could do a better job. Imagine a football game. Before your team plays, the other team, you're losing 21 to nothing. Now, that's the super delegate situation that, that we're looking at. Right now, Hillary Clinton has 717 super delegates that are not um, picked by majority of the vote in the primaries. And I don't know if a lot of um, people that are watching this uh, actually know that. They're not earned delegates compared to, you know, your caucuses and your primary votes. These are people that are part of the, the, the Democrat system that already gave their support. Uh, unconditionally. I mean, some of them could flip, but you're not going to get 717 of them to flip. Now, so you're losing this football game 21 to nothing. Now the game starts. Now, what kind of a game are you going to play when you're down 21 to nothing? As a quarterback, there's no running game. You're going to be throwing that ball downfield. That's you're right. on hurry-up offense, right. right? On your defense, your defense is blitzing. You're constantly blitzing. Now you score a touchdown and you're happy. It's 21 to 7, but then the other team kicks a field goal. So you're back a little bit now. Now, as time goes on, what are you doing? You're throwing the ball deeper and deeper. You're playing a game. You're playing against, a, you're playing against the wall constantly. You know, you're blitzing your linebackers. Everyone's exhausted. This is the game that the Democrats set up against the person that they didn't want to win. Now, it's their party, and you figure, well, you know what? You could, they could set up the rules the way they want to. But 
it, for the people that were voting in the party, that's unfair. If I support Senator Sanders and you set the game up against me, I'm kind of feeling a certain way about that as a Democrat. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? I might not, when it's all said and done, if, if the Democrats pick Hillary, I might just write his name in. I might not vote for her anyway, just, just, just to spite them. They're going to see probably a 30% backlash on Hillary Clinton if Bernie Sanders is denied the, um, the, the nomination simply because they know that the game was rigged from the beginning. And some of those people might even go Trump's way. Hillary's in a lot of trouble. And when you look at the, the statistics and you see that Hillary won the states that the Republicans are going to win anyway, and Bernie won the states that the Democrats are going to win anyway, and then you're going to give the nomination to Hillary where they didn't like Hillary in the, in the blue states and they like the, the Republican in the red state, she's going to get killed. Of course. You know, I mean, that's, that's, that's simple politics, but that's something that the Democrats are going to have to figure out. If they're not going to bring Bernie supporters on board, they're going to get killed. Of course. So and, I, and I told people that I said, listen, if, it, if you put, because that's what, the pe- that's what people are saying now, again, all over talk radio, is it, it's going to be Hillary and Bernie. I said, I shake my head and say, man, listen, if you put Hillary up, Hillary Clinton against Bur- uh, Trump, she's finished in the, in, in the regular election. Yeah. So why you don't like Hillary? It's not that I don't like her, but she does represent what um, a lot of uh, politicians. In other words, she's the lesser of the evils. When you when you understand where the corporate money is going, she's got a 15 million dollar super PAC from corporations Mm -hmm. that she says that that money doesn't influence her 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 decisions. Bull. I don't, I don't buy that. Mm. Not, you know, there are people that, that, that can't be bought. However, they're expecting something. And it's not like she's brand new and they're taking a chance on her. They know her for a lot of years. Um, they're, they're giving that money, expecting something, and knowing something of her. Now, this is a capitalistic nation, and corporations are going to have an influence, absolutely. But are they going to influence her to the point where... The, the labor continues, con, it continues to drop, which means the middle class continues to drop. And all of us wind up in a poorer state, dipping from middle middle to lower middle, and then even to just working poor. Um, is, is that what we expect? Do we expect more of the same, regardless of whether it's Hillary or Trump? Right. I mean, Trump is awful. Don't get me wrong. Um, they're not the same people. But it's, 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 still some, it's, it's still a corporate-run situation that, that, that turns me off. Yeah, you know, even I remember reading um, about a month ago, even CNN, as is, is, is racist as that network is, right? Even CNN, there was a poll on CNN that said if, Bernie, if Senator Sanders was to win the presidency, we will prosper in this country as far, economically. Because, like I said, my thing is with Senator Sanders is, you know— the things that he's saying, you know, even if he, you know, even if he can't, you know, even if Congress doesn't work with him, if there's a, you know, if there's a Republican Congress, um, you know, ran Congress, which it is right now, basically, um, he will die. Tr- I personally believe he'll die trying to get these things done, you know. Yes. But um, but basically, like I said, that's my thing with um Hillary Clinton is that you know basically to go along to get along and. Basically, that's my thing. Wall Street has she has too much ties to Wall Street, and that's my turnoff with her in this election. And you know, just basically trying to be the first female president. I mean, come on. I mean, that's and listen, that's a whole nother 
that's a whole other topic to, to be talked about off the radio as far as um um as far as that as far as the presidency being an institution as far as um whether or not this country will put will put a female in that office in that institution you see what i'm saying so that's what i mean by say if she was to go up against trump the establishment would do everything in their power to keep her from getting to that office you know this probably uh yeah you you you're gonna see you know that kind of thing i mean it was a proud moment in this country when they elected the first um african-american president um a lot of people didn't think that was going to happen i i I was actually kind of doubting it the way that at you know, first too, I doubted it too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it did happen and, and, and he turned out to be a fine president. Um, and, uh, you know, no president is perfect. So if you want to start picking stuff out, I can, um, that disappointed me on his presidency, but for the most part, he's been a fine president and he's a smart man. And I just, just to say this, um, if they don't get their act together, even the Republicans and the Democrat wins, Barack Obama, he qualifies for the Supreme Court. That's right. And um He's gonna put himself into all that. That's right. And I that's, think that's what may happen. I mean, right. this is a this is a constitutional law professor from that's, Harvard. That's I mean, right. you know, who who qualifies better than that? And he was president of the, the United pre- States. That's right, president of the Harvard Law Review. You can't he qualifies he, he's better qualified than the ones that's sitting there. Absolutely. And it happened once before. I don't know if anybody knows this, but William Howard Taft was uh president of the United States and then became a Supreme Court justice. So it is it had already happened and it and it's allowed to happen. Um so so but I you know and just a shout out to this person because um there's a a, a, a new young shining light coming out of the uh out of the um House of Representatives and her name is Tulsi Gabbard and she's a, a congressional um representative out of the state of Hawaii and she resigned from the Democratic uh committee um, because she wanted to come out personally and endorse Bernie Sanders. This, this woman is a brilliant young woman with a business degree, um, a decorated combat veteran, um, young, smart, articulate, and um, I, I believe she's a Native American. And um, she, she, she would actually be a very strong compliment on a, on a Sanders ticket. And I just wanted to, if nobody's ever heard of her name, her name is Tulsi Gabbard. And, um, you know, look her up, and, and, and you won't be disappointed in her biography. Oh, okay. Now, I want to take it from, uh, you know, f- from politics for a second, and, and let's go back to union stuff, right? Um, if, uh, if you were elected to president, if, if you were elected president on the next election, right, um, a major problem with the union right now is, is the solvency of the union, for what I understand, and that's and this is something that we touched on in the, on the last show. So, uh, if you were elected president, um, what methods would you know would you use, and how can the union remain can can become and remain um, solvent for the comp- you know for the you know for years to come. There is a, a couple of uh, areas that you would hit right away w- when it comes to financial solvency. One is um, unethical spending. Um, we have, you know, there's, there's credit cards buying dinner, drinks. Airings. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I showed you guys that 2010. Yeah. 
You know, when we went back to audit the books in 2011, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last show, they blocked us. We, we, you know, I mean, we can't afford lawyer after lawyer, but we brought a lawyer down there, and their general counsel at the time, Larry Carey, stopped us from auditing the books um, for, for, for the following year. So we don't know from that point on what the credit card spending looks like because even in the LM2s, that are coming out, and that's the government reporting for, for union expenditures, it doesn't itemize um, what, what the union spends um, when it comes to that. You know, as, as, as a nonprofit or even as a corporation, you're allowed to go out and you're allowed to um, buy, you know, people dinner. You're allowed to, to, to go on trips. You're allowed to, you know, whatever. But, but the accountability back to the members isn't there. Junkets, sending people on trips to Puerto Rico and and all over the place, and, and Venezuela, and Portugal, and, and, and not coming back and, and being accountable for what that money was spent on, um, that's, that's, that's one aspect of, of trying to bring us back to solvency. And the other one is a, is, 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 is a lot of staff. The union has a lot of staff. We would have to look at cutting that staff or cutting the salaries on that staff. That's what probably one of the things that stands in the way of, of, of me getting support from a lot of elected officers and staff is because they're told that if I win, the gravy train is over. And um, that's something, that's why it's hard. You know, most of the people that run with me are not officers. They're, they're members that also agree that the gravy chain has to end, but they don't have the, the recognition, or as Tremel talked about before, the popularity. Right. Um, and 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 it, it, it's, it, it holds us back. I mean, there's a whole lot in that seven percent to get to fifty percent plus one. We we got forty three percent of the vote last time. There's a whole lot in that seven percent to make up. That's like you climb a mountain and then the last hundred feet is a is a big rock ridge. You know, it's like that's you know that's the hurdle to get over. But what we what we what we want to do is um, try to build it up from now and, and, and get future leaders and people that understand that the solvency of the union is just as important as making it strong as is organizing and mobilizing. Because if you have to go out there and fight a fight and you don't have the money to do it, you got to lay back and die. Exactly. And you cannot rely on vendors to pay for your fights, especially if the fight that you're fighting is, is, is a conflict of interest to the vendor. Um, I, an example escapes me right now. Maybe I'll think of one, you know, in a little while. But 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 you can see what I'm saying that even politically, for that matter, if the owner of a company that's a vendor of 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 the union that's that that's been supplying money towards Family Day and the other stuff that we do now, if we do something that that is a is is, is a political conflict, can that vendor turn around and tell Local 100 that we can't pick up that fight because the money that they're giving us? To survive um, uh, is, is, is so, so necessary that we turn around and, and lose our identity because we have to pay our bills. You know, that's, that's, that's one of the things that members, you know, need to know. Um, and this comes with, you know, the, the, the vast amounts of money that's pumped into life insurance when a poor member shows up and, and they start hitting him up for money. By the time, by the time he walks out of there, you know, he's got nothing. Um, <laughs> pockets are pulled out. Um, they, they, they come and they hit them up for everything. Um, there are certain things that we should be doing in the union as far as money is concerned. This isn't really solvency, but we have a, a widows and orphans fund, which is a great thing. It was started by Roger Toussaint. 
and it, ha it has a purpose, but we don't have a, a health and welfare fund. Um, we had uh, plenty of tragedies that, that befall our members and they come to the union for help and we, and we can't get them any help. I mean, well, how, how, how far can you go as a union to help a member right now? I think the best thing you can do is the, member, the, the union gives you the phone number for like a shelter. Like let's say your house burned down. Oh, there's a, there's a shelter that you can go to. We don't even have money to give somebody to, to put them up in a hotel or to get them a temporary living condition that's, that's, that's dignified because we don't have a health and welfare, but we have a widows and orphans fund that's funded. Like I said, it's a great thing, don't get me wrong, because it's putting um, uh, orphans, well, they're not orphans, but they, you know, they lost a parent on the job, they're putting them through college, and that, that's very, very important. But if, if it's overfunded, then let's back off widows and orphans a little bit and begin to pick up on a health and welfare fund that, that benefits our members, especially Hurricane Sandy. That was something that a lot of our members lost their homes. Far Rockaway, uh, friends of mine personally, their houses were just washed away, gone. Yeah, you know, it's amazing that um, it's something that a lot of people don't think about, and the people who are in office now that um who control who control the finances of the union i don't know what their training is but you know but like but see my thing is this right for the union and just like an individual when you're you know like when you're financially sound you basically are you know both the legs that you stand on are stronger you know um i dream of i dream of this union or i dream of this union being financially solvent enough to where we don't have to worry about, um, you know, the tr the training and upgrading fund is a fund is, is a great thing. So, you know, getting to the point to where we don't have to have management dump money into it, um, just like you said, the widows and orphans fund and the, and and the health fund and even loans. Let's just say because there are a lot of people in transit that say, "Oh, damn, I'm broke. I need a loan." I, I got to do this. I got to do that because there are a lot of departments where everybody doesn't make overtime. So, if you had a union that was solvent enough to where you gave, um, let's say up up to a thousand dollars, of course, be responsible about it. Up to a thousand dollars, no questions asked, and then you and 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 then you pay it back along with your dues. You can't beat that. There's no credit checks. There's no nothing. You know. Mm -hmm. So that's you know. So that's besides having MCU or any other um, or the pension loan. You know, so just but this is what I mean where I say when a union is solvent enough financially, they can do better by their members because they can provide these things. Yeah. I mean, I, I'll give you an example. When 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 80 West End, right, and that was sold and you guys touched on the building sale. I didn't like that building, not not because of its location. I didn't like it because uh, its infrastructure was old. You know what that building was built for? It's on the west side of, of, of Midtown Manhattan, it, the, what used to be a much bigger car district. Everyone used to go over there and buy their cars. That building was built to warehouse the cars. The floors are like three and a half feet of reinforced concrete. You, can, you could put anything on those floors and it'll never fall through. But, but in today's day, you couldn't even get Wi-Fi through the floor. You couldn't... <laughs> you could, <laughs> it, was, it was like every floor was a building. You know, I mean, that was that's how it was. So that building needed so much work that the union could not afford to to to, to rent it out to anybody. I mean, you couldn't even hold off. It, it, half of it wasn't rented and not because they didn't want to rent it, because nobody wanted to rent it. The, the first floor that 
that supermarket, they still had 20 years left to go on a 20-year lease that when they, when they signed the lease 20 years ago, it was below rent market. It's not, that supermarket is sub, sub, sub leasing that place. Uh, what, was, what did it turn out to be when we left? Gristides? But it was, it was a whole lot of names before that. Mm-hmm. The original leasee, I think, is like six supermarkets ago. I don't even know who they are. Now, that, you, there was no money to be made there. It, it, that building, we had to go. Now, the price they got for it, whatever. Now, I know that they were looking for a place. My idea of a union hall would have a general assembly hall in the union hall, but it would also have prime rental space because you want to be able to, 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 to get a profit. There was a, there was a building for sale uh, before they bought these two and a half floors in Brooklyn, which was a total disaster, mm-hmm. um, which is also a reason why the unions broke. Um, oh, so we are broke. Oh, we more oh. than broke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. There are countries that don't have as much debt as we do. Let me ask you this, Joe, before you before you continue on. How do you feel about the new union hall? I don't like it. You know why I don't like it? It's officer friendly, it's not member friendly. It's it's luxury office space for officers. It's a lovely home for them. Yeah. Castle Samuelson. That's what <laughs> <laughs> But um it's not it's not member friendly. And you need a big hall. You guys ever been to the local three hall where, where they do like Indian Day? It's out on um, Jewel Avenue, Parsons Boulevard. Out, um, it's out in like, it's like Flushing. It's Parsons and where? Uh, Jewel Avenue, Parsons and Jewel, where they hit. They, they come together out there in Flushing. Anyway. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's, I know the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's called the Leckchester because it was built by local three. All that housing around there and the Union Hall in the center, right? It was built a long time ago, but it was built with the members in mind. It was built, I guess, during Harry Van Arsdale's days. And it's got a huge general assembly hall. I mean, the place is built around it. That is what I would envision for, for our membership, to have a huge general assembly hall, a home for the members, not a home for the officers. Right. That way you have a place to go. If you want to have a mass membership meeting, you don't have to worry about the Javits Center and all these other places, you know? Yeah, because you can have, like, if, if the place isn't big enough, then you have five mass membership meetings, and you, you pick the times and, 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 and mem- 24-hour company. You could have a, a mass membership meeting at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's right. For the people that work, you know, PM that want to come after work. So, so, so that's what I envision a, a union hall to be. But there was a building on 35th Street, I think it was between the 8th and 9th Avenue that um, at the time the, the, um, the chief of staff, uh, Harry Wills, had, had suggested they look at. Now, this was a 12-story building. It probably needed work. But it was actually the price of it, I think, was only $3 million over what they initially paid for the two and a half floors in Brooklyn. This was 12 floors. This was a, a place where you can rent. 35th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue, you could rent that place out. The income that you get from your rentals, you could begin to, to, to increase the benefit of membership. You could have your own dentists, that, dentists that do cosmetic surgery, because right now we, we, don't, we don't get implants or anything like that. But if you had your off, and I, I'm not making this up, I'm just copying what other unions have already done. These are things that they provide to their membership right. that we could be providing to ours with the profit from our rentals. We could, we could be doing stuff like that. We could be giving better eyeglasses. We don't have to just get from management from the contract and try to divvy out little pieces here and there because, you know, let's face it, 
The dental didn't get better, and the eyeglasses didn't get better. The only thing that was different is now we control the trust rather than it being in the contract as a, as a, as a defined benefit. Mm-hmm. Now it's now it's now it's a contribution for management. It's not it's not it, it didn't get vastly improved like Samuelson said it did. Um, that was just a way to sell the contract. But profits from rentals, we can begin to increase the benefit of our membership and actually have a member feel. You know, that their money is worth it. And then, of course, when we talk about people not paying dues, if the Supreme Court thing should never go down bad, um, people will want to pay their dues right. to keep those benefits. Exactly. And we could put up our middle finger to the right wing who, you know, basically are, it's like, listen, you know, we're still afloat and we're, up, you know, and we're in the sky, not even just afloating, we're in the sky, right. you know. And they could also, in a, in, a, in a scenario like what you just said, they can, you know, you can get people who are financially savvy, you know, like Liz Rodriguez, who who ran with you. Basically, you could get people like that who would invest money in the stock market to keep the money constantly growing. Oh yeah, because that's what compound interest is all about. So basically, there's but there's no reason in my eyes for a union as strong as what we're supposed to be, TW Local 100, to be broke. I, I, I really can't believe what I hear when I hear that. Listen, the LM2s are coming out at the end of the month. You'll, you'll see. Now, there, there's going to be a, a bit of a difference. I want to throw this in there, guys, because this is something that we, that we didn't talk about, but this is something that burns me. Um, we had a property, um, and it was, it, was, it was bought and invested in back in 1980 uh, during the John Law administration, and it was, um, it was called the Daniel Gilmartin Houses. It was on 99th Street in Corona. I think it's Corona Avenue. I'm not sure, but I, I, I was by there, and I took pictures of the place. We sold that property. This is 150 units. Huge property. The building was, was, was very well kept, but it's, it's a huge property around the building, and we sold it for $10 million. Um, the thing about it was it was run by HUD, the the. the, the the original deal way back then was we invested this money, 40 years later it would be ours. HUD would operate it as low income and retiree housing until that time. When our investment matures, we take it over. I believe this was going to be in 2021 or 2023. Once that happened, 150 units became ours, and then we would decide what we want to do. But think about what its value would be uh, seven or eight years from now. We, we, you know, $10 million was chump change. Um, compared to what we would have, the value of that building, what we would have had. Now, we could have sold it, right, and took the money and did something. Or we could have used that building to be co-op, condo, Mitchell-Lama-style housing, whatever, for our membership, because that neighborhood is up and coming. That neighborhood isn't probably what it was 40 years ago. It's right by the highway, um, the LIE. It actually, you, you look down the block, you have the LIE. Underneath there, and there's Regal Park. Mm-hmm. I, used okay. to live, I used to live out there, so I know the right. neighborhood, yeah. So, so this building was, 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 was prime for us to either sell it seven or eight years from now or offer it to our membership, uh, even, even hold the mortgages on, on, on condominium, first-time buyers maybe for our membership so they, they could build up some equity and, and, um, and, and feel like they own something. Right. You know, um, that... And plus the property around it could probably could have been built on or we could have did something for it, made a family friendly playgrounds for membership. You know, these were all possibilities that, you know, I, I was really looking forward to saying, yeah, we're going to do this in the future. And then they sold it. 
Now, what did they sell it for? They sold it for that kind of money. Now, some of it was infused into the, um, to the, to the to general fund, and some of it bought a building, a dilapidated old factory, tiny factory, actually, up in the Bronx, um, which I still haven't found out what it's for yet, even though they said it was going to be something like um, the uh, retirees would use it to give retiree advice to retirees. I'm like, I, 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 I didn't <laughs> really understand what that, that was. That sounds crazy. I know. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it doesn't serve our purpose except to be maybe a satellite. But it, it wasn't. And, 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 and infusing money into the general fund, all you're doing is bringing down the debt. And, and, you know, it's kinda, it kind of makes me feel good in a way that because we exist and we point these things out, that we force them to try to mask what they're doing. Otherwise, who, if, if we're not out there telling, telling the membership what the financial situation is in this union and, and, and showing them how they can get it and how they can look at it or putting out the link to the, to the LM2s, the members would never see $9 million in debt. They would never see uh, excessive spending or ridiculous salaries for, for staff and how many lawyers we have and, and, and everything that we do and, and, and different kinds of lawyers we have. It's absolutely outrageous how we spend money. And, it's, and, and, and a lot of it, I think, has to do with political favors when, when the elections are over. But you'll always see, following the election year, a very large spike in spending because they have to defend themselves against us. They have to bring more people out on staff to run around and tell everybody how great Samuelson is. Right. And, and, you know, it's a lot of people out there because I've heard it recently. They think, oh, man, please, the union got plenty of money. And I'm like, man, listen, if you, you know, y'all really honestly don't know. They, but now you spoke about attorneys, and that's the next question I want to ask you. Um, besides having ter- attorneys on staff, like, wouldn't you think it would be crucial to have a prestigious law firm on retainer, just like how the MTA has that um, Prosker and Rose on hand for, like, their big cases? So, you know, it's okay for the union to have a couple of retur- attorneys on retainer or whatever, but as far as also having the big-name law firm that we could go to for big cases and even to sit in on our negotiations with the MTA, because, again a big prestigious law firm like the Cochran firm or somebody like that, that would make, you know, that would make us stronger. And the MTA would say, okay, oh boy, these people are not playing, you know? Um, well, you know, the ones that are on staff, they're making X amount of money. Um, it's not a whole lot of money. I, and I don't know the backgrounds of the lawyers that are there. Some of them I've known, but I don't know their backgrounds. So I don't know, you know, what kind of qualifications they're bringing or even if they pass the bar, I have no idea. Um, <laughs> no, really, they could be working off somebody else's license, like a like an electrician, you know, or something. So I I, I mean I can't really I, I, I would probably have to say like they you guys you guys break up my concentration working off somebody else's license like electrician. <laughs> so I think that um, we would have to look at you know what 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 do they do and what are their qualifications. But I do know this. The, the expense that we, we, we incur paying for lawyers is it comes directly from the TA's attack on us when it comes to discipline and grievances when they're violating the contract. And the more they do that, the more expense we have to incur to pay for, for defense. And they know that. And they know that. And they come after us. You know, and I said this before, this, this MTA management is actually benign compared to the management from 10 years ago. And God help us if that kind of management ever comes back, 
because they kick our asses in the situation we're in right now. We have no money and very and we're very short on talent. So I mean, right now everything is just like status quo and the seas are calm. Um, but I would I as far as a law firm that's that's smart and influential, absolutely. I you know I I, I know a few and um, very good labor attorneys and um, very smart, very successful. Um, what we have isn't it. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, of course, and of course the costs will have to be uh, uh, brought in. But you're right, and especially when it comes to negotiations. Got to have the, you got the big brains at the table. Of course. Now, I want to touch on the, um, the 1999 rally on, in Manhattan Center. That's why I wanted uh, Mr. Semino here because, um, you know, he's, he was, he was a, a bigger activist back then than me. I was just kind of getting started. The... The, the, the rally at Manhattan Center was a culmination of, of, of aggravated members. And what you're seeing right now is, is actually a mirror of the 90s, how it started out and how the 90s progressed through. Um, bad contracts and getting worse contracts. Um, lies from the union, lies from management. Um, surpluses that were aggravating the members. We take a bad contract, and then there's a, 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 a budget surplus from the MTA, which is like five times higher than what our raises were worth. Um, and then, of course, the union coming out and saying, well, you don't really understand what a surplus is. We understand what a surplus is. I mean, we, you know, <laughs> I, I don't like a stupid person telling me that I'm not as smart as he is, you know? <laughs> you know, a whole union hall full of Forrest Gumps. But the the what Joe Campbell has officially fired shot people. <laughs> <laughs> but what <laughs> but what what we saw in the nineties was a culmination of, of 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 heat. It was building up. It was kinda of like a volcano before it erupts. Starts smoking, you know, and then finally boom. Um, Manhattan Center was it. Manhattan Center was the membership telling the union, it was nineteen ninety nine, right before the contract. It was the membership telling the union, we're tired of your BS, and we want you to, to get out there. We want to organize, and, and, and if you guys don't um, come up with something that, you know, we consider to be, you know, close to being decent, we want to strike. And Giuliani back then was afraid of transit workers. Transit workers were growing out of their union. The Manhattan Center rally was so big and powerful um, that it shook the city of New York. And then everybody was so worked up that they decided after they went to the mass membership meeting at Manhattan Center, they decided to go protest the union hall. Wow. So everybody marched from Manhattan Center, not everybody, but a lot of them marched from Manhattan Center to Union Hall, and they continued to protest outside the union hall to bring out um, the, the officers, the executive board, whoever was in there, to come out and explain to us what the hell's going on. Because we weren't even getting word on contract negotiations. The only word we were getting was from dissident groups at the time, like New Directions, which was telling us what was going on, but the union wasn't. Now we, we come back into, into this decade, and we see the same thing happening. No information, lies, and, and, and subpar contracts. Now, the membership is going to have to decide, I mean, with, with, with leadership, of course, um, in, in the organizing realm, decide to stand up and start telling the union what it wants. This show is part of doing that, to giving information and telling everybody, you know, this is what we need to expect. This is the job of our union, and this is the job of the membership, is, is, to, is to push a union when it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. So 
I would love to see our version of 1999 Manhattan Center happen again. Um, but this time, uh, you know, um, not with the give back. I mean, 99 had, had good raises, but, but, but a lot of give backs as well. But everybody was so broke as transit workers, they took the money because they didn't really fully understand what the give backs were until after the fact because it was still that union that gave us the, the contract. And then later on, we found out what the give backs were. Car equipment paid a heavy, heavy price. It was like a seniority garage sale. Um, they, they really screwed us bad. But the raises themselves were 12%. That would not have happened if the members didn't stand up and push the union. I know that for a well, fact. Let me ask you this. How, how can we get the members to understand now in today's time what the givebacks are? Because that's one of the reasons we created the radio show was to create a platform where we can express, you know, certain things that the union wouldn't explain to us, if, especially if you don't go to union meetings or anything like that, where we have educated people like yourself that knows – about the business of how things work. Like, how can we explain to the members now what the givebacks may be All right. in today's time? Three major ones, right? Can't foresee everything. Three major ones to watch out for. Booth closings, which are already happening, and with that station agent of the future nonsense. Yeah, with that, with that, with that um, <laughs> iPad business. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's dangerous stuff. Part-timers. Part-time bus operators. Very, very dangerous to the union. Part-time bus operators is a killer. And automatic train operation. Not, not opto. opto. An opto agreement might allow for a two-person crew, but an automatic train operation is nobody. Let we're talking ask, about uh, air, air, that, that, that shuttle that goes to the airport. We're talking about yeah. like a whole train of that. Let me ask you something about opto. How did the union allow opto to happen? Because even when you look at the George, which, which runs opto on the weekend, I don't understand how safety isn't a factor in that situation because I heard of a situation where a, a, a train operator had an incident where the train didn't move and um, that train operator was actually in distress and a customer had to call in on the radio that the train operator was in distress. And, and um, wow. yeah. Wow. Now, the George is a... The Georgia no, no, G-Line. Listen, listen, listen. The customer had to call that the, cu that the train operator was in distress and a superintendent actually moved the train and control and or the tower didn't know who was moving the train at the time. Wow. You see, see the problem with that? Um, opto language was written back in the 90s um, and, and originally it was written for the shuttle, uh, Times Square shuttle. So, so, you know, I mean, how it got, I, I can't speak. I won't, I won't tell you something I don't know for sure, but it's not, I can't speak on how it got into the G and, and, and why it does that. But, but how do you fight it? Like, in other words, how do you keep it from expanding if you really care as a union? Um, you, have to, you have to communicate with the, with the community. You, you, you can't just say, we're saving jobs. The community doesn't really respond to that, even though, you know, we, 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 we live in that community. But what you do tell them is that it's unsafe. You have to have a two-man crew. You have to have a two-man crew on everything. And it could be to protect our train operator who's in distress. But it also, let's go to the 2003 August blackout, right? The whole city blacks out. I, rem I was on the highway. I was on the west side highway coming down from a, I was released to the union, and I was coming down from a section meeting in the Bronx. 
and I was coming to the Union Hall, and I didn't know there was a blackout. I mean, because it happened while I was on the highway. But when I got to the west side, there was no lights. There was nothing. And found out later on, the city was blacked out. Then, you know, as it got dark, things started getting dangerous. More cars on the road. But everybody needed to be rescued off those trains. The two-person crew was essential for that. I know there was MOW guys out there, but they're not everywhere. They, they are where they are, and they're going to help where they are. But the, the, the train crews were essential for evacuating the system, at least, you know, on the subway side. And that was, that was because there was two of them. Can you imagine how many people can you put on a, on a train, like a train of R46s? How many people can you put on We that? talked about that, right? How many yeah. in oh. rush hour, packed down in rush hour? How, how much we said? How much we said? Like maybe like eight, 800 or 1,000? Yeah, yeah. they, 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 they exaggerate the number to be... Two thousand. I've uh, heard that number, train. yeah, but, but I, it's, that's, not, it's, it's not. I watched a um a program where the the people who built the one hundred and sixty, and they would say comfortably sitting room is forty four, and with about um standing room is about two hundred and change maybe, if you had or one hundred and change per car, or something okay. like that. Well, let's say you had two hundred cars. Is that doable? Let's say that's a. Is that would that be a packed car? Very packed. Okay, very packed. Probably not every car is going to be like that. All right, 160s. You got four on each link. You got eight. So that's what, 1,600 maximum. So let's say you got 1,100 people on a train. What you mean, four? No, it's, it's actually uh, it's a 10-car train for the most part. Eight, eight, eight cars is, uh, is uh, like the, um, the, the Mary. Yeah, I was, I was talking about how we run them out of East New York. Oh, okay. Okay. But anyway, let's say you have that. Now, let's say you had 12 people, 1,200 people. Now, how do you evacuate that with one person? It's, 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 you, it's, I mean, it really, is it's, bad enough with just we're still see, with two people. You know, it's crazy. They use the analogy of they always compare us to a flight crew or train uh, 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 as being pilots. As far as I'm concerned, the pilots are, are you know, guy in the, the, the plane, and they also have a flight crew. So it's not only two. You uh, um, the most people you have on a plane is 400 people, the most. But right. on a train, you got maybe a thousand. And two people is is responsible for that thousand people. So our job is way more. Um, I, I don't even want to compare them, but you can't compare our job to their job because we're responsible for more people. Well, you definitely can't. You can't evacuate with one because how does that one person stay in contact with with RCC, you know, or anybody police, fire department, anybody that person supposed to be in contact with and evacuate everybody? I mean, let's you know, let's even happen. let's even think about if we could even get in. Co- to contact with RCC because the communication is so poor. And if I ever get in trouble between Broadway Lafayette and 34th Street on the Bravo, Delta, or Fox or Mary, I'm in trouble. Yeah, you're in trouble. Because <laughs> the communication a- is totally poor. There's definitely dead spots. There's a dead spot at uh, Prospect Park on the Quincy and Bravo. You can sit there and call RCC all day and be in all types of distress. They will not hear you or answer you. So you figure that, you know, the public should be aware of that. Now, you're leafleting the public on that. That's, right. pub, that's their safety. The safety regarding crime. You know, a lot of people like to sit with the train operator or conductor. You know, they feel safe at night. This is, that's, that's what you need. It's the same thing with booths. People want to stand by the booth, and then the train comes, and then they get on the train. They don't want to go to the end of the platform at 3 o'clock in the morning. Anything can happen to them down there. So this is all about public safety. So we leaflet. 
And we say that, you know, how, how do you say, you know, if, if transit workers aren't down here and the place is running like a, uh, like a, like a kid's railroad, a big kid's railroad by itself. How <laughs> yeah, Thomas and Friends. Going in circles. Yeah, Thomas, Thomas friends. and Friends. That's what they think it is, you know. Right. But, but how do you see something and say something if there's nobody there to see anything? So, so, so the people would respond to that. Um, you know, part-time is, 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 is a different economic issue. Um, there is there is safety to talk about, but in the in the subway on on that on that respect, booth closings and 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 automatic train operation, no, we can get the public on our side for that. That but that starts now. You have to start that fight now. Don't yeah, wait I, I, until I, like they come up with it as I, a demand. I definitely agree with you. And you know, since these subway slashing has been going on, I have been seeing an increase in NYPD, but it's it's so smokescreen and mirrors. Only thing they do is, is set up on these certain gap station platforms and the police come up to me with your last name, with your pass number to make it look like they doing their work. Listen, that's not the answer because we brung up this situation before they decided to up the ante on, on the police on the show. And the police actually, they, they null and void in the system. Yes, you have your little undercover police and things like that, but... It was plenty of times where I needed police on my train and RCC says um, signal for police en route. I don't think they know what those signals are. It's, it's, it's all smokescreen and mirrors, you know, and, and like I said before, the police only care about the fare box to make their quota, which came up in the news the other day um, with some African-American police officers talking about, you know, certain commands demand them to make a quota. That's all they care about. All the other rules of the subway is not enforced. Smoking on the train, drinking on the train, holding doors. Us as employees shouldn't be charged with um, delaying service. Customers should always be responsible, too, for delaying service. Because, to be honest with you, it's not always the workers while the train is late. It's people holding the doors for 10 people that's coming down the stairs later. Acting, I, I, I call them the super customers. Like, if it was me... You hold the doors, and I'm a police officer. Come here, you getting off the train? We go write you a ticket. All that good Samaritan stuff, holding doors for people, that has to stop. Smoking on trains, I'm I'm an asthmatic. Somebody smoking in my train, I call RCC. Oh, um, signal for police and route. I'm signal signaling for police and route till I get to the next terminal, and I will continue signaling for police and route until the end of time, and police will never come because they don't respond to those signals, and especially. I had a situation at 34th Street, and I'm going to keep saying this. The police took at least 15 to 20 minutes to come to where the point RCC was asking me, police not there yet? RCC, police not here yet. Police not there yet? Police, uh, RCC, police not here yet. It's sad. But let them police call a 1013, which was which means officer in distress. Oh, You'll see a thousand police oh, there. You're going to see fighter jets. It's exactly. airstrike. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. You know? <laughs> Now, what I want to touch on, Joe, for bus people, right, is, like I said, with the last contract, I can't keep bashing it enough, but they were popping bottles, it seems like, champagne bottles, because, yeah, there were no part-timers. Like, listen, you know, to have part-time bus operators for TA and OA on the table, I'm wondering, is that even legal? Because when you, you know, again, you know, with TA being civil service and with them, with um, the tr transit having to give the exam for bus operator, 
you know, there really shouldn't be any room for part-time bus operators on the table when it comes to us. Now, MTA bus, you know, they've always been a private entity, so and they've always had part-time bus operators. So there's no, you know, so that's why they do it. But TA and OA, I'm wondering, is that even legal to be on the table? Well, yeah, it's it's legal to be on the table. Um, it, you can put anything on the table. But, um, you know, and and, you know, Somebody will tell you that pension is not legal to put on the table, but it, anything can be on the table. The thing about it is um, part-time is the best way, you know, to fight that is, is to let people know that, you know, you want your regular bus operator. That person drives a bus every day, all day. You don't want a person that just drives a bus for three hours. That person probably doesn't care about the job. Right. And to tell you the truth, there's probably going to be such a huge turnover that any day you can get on that bus as a, as a customer and looking to be a different person. Um, at the same time, same place. That's, that's something that the public doesn't like, that unfamiliarity. We can go after them with that. But for the most part, the public will also understand when we say that, how can you raise a family on part-time income? I mean, not only that, it, 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 more, more importantly, what should be raised first is safety. Because you got somebody with a part-time job, people got full-time families, which means they need full-time pay. Who's to say this guy is not wa- working 12 hours before coming to that job and coming to drive the bus sleepy. That's a great point. That's a great point. You're right. That's because, exactly. Because, right, because he could be somewhere else. And the, and the MTA can't monitor that. They monitor that in their own rules. And in, 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 I don't know if it's in a contract, but definitely in the rules, it says that you have to have X amount of sleep before you can you know, continue to work and all that. And they that. got to uh, approve well, uh, they, extra employment, well, you too. Don't, yeah, you don't know if that person's been driving buses back and forth to Atlantic City before he jumps on, <laughs> a, exactly. on an MTA, right? Yeah, Jamel, right. you was doing that, too, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't... I don't drive the train. I don't drive Transit Authority's bus, so yeah, but that, you- that's why I'm able to do it. You know, but the thing is, you're absolutely right about safety, and and you have the eight hour rule, which is federal. That's not uh, okay. you know, that's, that's not no, no. I think they federal. I think they moved that to ten. No, well, no, no. It's still eight hours. It's a it's the eight hour rule, for what I understand. And then you you had a new thing, with, with, you know, with that the, the train derailment in Metro North with that dude Rockefeller. He never got charged, but now they trying to um implement uh sleep apnea tests mm. now which 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 is crazy i mean first of all you hit a signal in new york city transit <laughs> you getting disciplined but for this guy to to derail a train maybe because his last name is rockefeller i don't know but <laughs> <laughs> you know he didn't get in any trouble mm. and that's kind of that's kind of crazy mm-hmm. i know he almost drove that thing into the river yeah now let me ask you something joe you know the '90s TWU and today's TWU. How would you compare the two? The members are the same. Leadership is the same. We're heading towards some kind of uh, brick wall. We're gonna hit something. Well, well, what are you go ahead, Joe? Like I want you to predict the future because I want I want to make you look like a genius right now. <laughs> what are we going to hit? I wish this was genius stuff, but this is just like you know. Oh, okay, I saw this rerun before. Um, <laughs> This is, this is going to come, I mean, as long as we exist, the members will be organized into being angry and, and, um, and demanding what, what, what they want, regardless of how the union feels that it's going to just, you know, roll over for Cuomo and this stuff. The union did the same thing back then. The difference was it was a different Cuomo. 
but it was it was a different Cuomo but same situation bad contracts promises never kept union reps that was separated from from the membership and a union hall that nobody ever went to it was it, this is like the exact same thing the members have to demand now. We can't wait for another contract because of the, and, and the difference is we, we never accepted five-year deals and the deadline always meant something. At That's least right. we had that back then. Oh, deadline don't mean nothing now. Right. The deadline doesn't mean anything. I mean, everyone's talking about January 15th. I'd be shocked. I really would be. <laughs> I mean, you know, unless, but, 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 you know, we could, we could, we could hit probably uh, uh, an okay financial um, arrangement, but pay for it in huge givebacks like 99 that that's why that's why i'm saying like what we look what 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 this looks like is 99 we're going to come out and we're going to help organize well i don't want the union to fail because this is my contract too exactly we're going to help come out and organize right. we're going to we're going to drive the union to organize we'll shame them into organizing well, we'll we, if, if they don't want to organize and give us opportunities to, to, to give us a mobilization or a venue for mobilization then then we're going to come up with our own and, 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 and have the members demanding. We want, we want to be where the negotiations are. We, could, we didn't even have that. You know, we, where we could show up outside and rally outside negotiations because there weren't any. All there was was just, you know, here's your contract. One day woke up. Here you go. Well, that's, no. that's the perfect time. Could you let the people know what we got going on as far as how we trying to mobilize? Well, I mean, we... To, to, to keep the uh, momentum going from the election, what, what usually happens is if well, the elections are exhausting. So a lot of the people that organize for the elections, they, they kind of like take a break. I took a little bit of a break, but not, not, not from organizing and getting information out, just from, you know, give everybody a break on meeting and stuff like that. But we want to be able to keep this uh, momentum going because the elections, our election side wasn't about popularity. We were talking about issues. And we want to be able to keep that conversation going on issues. And those issues, everybody agreed upon. They agree that these issues are vital to, to our future as a union. Even if you're planning on retiring, you want to have a retirement that's secure in the knowledge that the organization that you left and now you're a retiree of is solvent and it's, it's strong and it's keeping up the, the values of trade unionism. You cannot leave this organization the way it is, all messed up. You know, um, old furniture, old carpeting. You know, I mean, you want you want everything pristine, and you want you know strong leadership there that's going to protect you as a retiree, fight for you to get cola. Because I don't I don't know if a lot of people realize that when you retire, your pay freezes, and you have to hope that the state legislature can grant you a, a cost of living increase in the future. So when you retire, you're making a decision to freeze your pay. Um, and, and, and you want a union that's going to be doing that. And I, look, we, we went six years and I didn't see our union do anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, the poor people that retired six years ago are still making that same money. You don't get the raises that the members get when, when uh, in your pension, that's it. You're, you're frozen solid. Yeah. So we want, you know, as retirees, you want to have, um, your union fighting for you. You, you definitely don't want the union selling you out. Like you go out and you expect to have medical. But they don't know how to get a contract. And since they already sold out the new guys and there's nobody left to sell out but you, and you can't fight against it because you can't vote and just take your medical away so they can give the, the incumbents a raise, that can happen to you. I mean, you, don't, you want a leadership that's in there that wouldn't even think of doing that. Well, let me ask you this, Joe. What you think about the, um, 
the the future debate between Tucson and Steve Downs. Downs is no match for Tucson. <laughs> I, I would actually actually surprise Roger would even fly here to to do that. I mean, just maybe to slap him around, but that's about it. <laughs> But you don't know. Well, it's going, well, it's going down. You know, you know, Roger. It's go, it's Roger down, actually, it's, it's going down. Everybody, April, April twenty first. Oh, okay. Roger actually, he called. He called Steve Downs out, and he said Steve Downs need to bring Nick Bedell because he probably gonna need help. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you think that Roger goes go win the match? Roger Toussaint is very intelligent. Roger Toussaint is quick. Um, and people he's debating aren't. So, I, you know, right then and there, you know, they're not, there's, not, there's no equals there. Somebody else told me the same thing yesterday. When, matter of fact, that same person who I ran into, who I told you about, uh-huh. at, uh, out of East New York, who used to be uh, New Directions, yeah. he told me the same thing. He said, listen, Steve Downs is no match for Roger. So, like I said, that's uh, Are, are you going to be here for that, Joe? I mean, if you want me to, um, Joe, look, listen, listen. You, we gave you a key, <laughs> so you, you, you welcome anytime. You have a key, so if you want to be here, it'll be nice. Well, all right, you know, I mean, I wouldn't really want to jump in on that one. That that that's that's something that I would like to be a spectator on, you know, and maybe maybe be one of you know. You don't have to push that button to make a crowd noise. <laughs> <laughs> be be live, right? We uh, we actually want some people in the building. Listen, Nick Bedell, I want to make this interesting. Come to the show, man. You already agreed that you will come to the show. Come, let's let's have a healthy discussion. Toussaint, I I I don't know what your relationship is. Don't think that progressive action actually set that up. I was surprised when Toussaint said your name. I don't know your relationship or, or do y'all have any kind of relationship. Come to the show. It's healthy for the people. If nobody don't have anything to hide, it, it should be all all fun and games. And you know, I do consider you very knowledgeable. I consider you more knowledgeable than the, than the reps that we elected in. So it's only fair that you you come to the show and and help um, Steve Downs out, and that's what that's what how Roger feels. Come help Steve Downs out. It's healthy discussion for the whole membership. If you with the membership, come join. And you want to know? I want to get this out before you know before I forget about it. You know, it's a beautiful thing how on the. Uh, on the cover of the current um, magazine, you know, from the union that comes out, you know, the periodical that comes out on a monthly yeah. basis, you have on the cover all the all all of these retirees who struck fifty years ago, fifty fifty years ago <laughs> with Mike Quill. Okay, and I said to myself, "Wow, this is beautiful." And then and then you had these guys making the videos talking about their experience on the picket line back then. So now you're talking about these guys. Now, if it's 50 years ago, they, they're they all easily in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, at least, yeah. I mean, maybe a 20-year-old would be 70, you well, know? Right, it would be 70 now, a 20-year-old. Yeah. But you had to bet at that time, I think you had to be in your early to mid-20s to get the job. Well, I mean, if you were a cleaner and you didn't really need any background and you were just coming in entry level from, you know, high school, you could be you could be young. But, yeah, you're right. You Most of them young. are probably 80 and 80-something. 80 80 80 yeah. Exactly. So this is what I mean when I say – this is the um, no matter what. This is the activist. You know, like this is they understand what it is to be active and what the un- and what trade unionism is. That generation because it was very important. So some of those guys said that that strike made them who they were. And basically, we ripped the we reaped the benefits 
of what they struck for back then. Oh, yeah, up, absolutely. All, all the way up to this day, you know. You're right. I mean, you know, 2050, no contribution. That, that was like the greatest pension that ever happened. <laughs> Basically. That, that came out of that strike, even though it wasn't, it wasn't a 1966 benefit, but because the, 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 the success of the 66 strike, um, you know, went into subsequent years in 1968, they came out with 2050. Right, there you go. And, um, and that was because of the strength of, of transit workers. Uh, Mike Quill was already, you know, gone. He had passed away shortly after the strike. But, um, you know, the legacy continued on. So, so their strength got them a better pension. And that's, that's I mean, even in, in the 2005 strike, these, these guys, you know, disrespect, you know, they disrespect this. And, and the leadership does this. And I have no respect for anybody who disrespects their own legacy, their own struggles. Um, but... In 2005, you know, after, you know, we, we, we were able to get a, a pension refund of ten dollars to $12,000 for the people that overpaid in the 90s, which we didn't even talk about um, when we talked about the 90s. Right. And, um, and, and, and we stopped a Tier 5, which was similar to Tier 6, where between 2005 and, and 2012 is seven, seven years, you know, a maximum of 14,000 members could have already been a tier six type pension going back to 2005 if it wasn't for that strike. And don't ever let anybody tell you that it's a non-mandatory subject of bargaining because management said, we're going to Albany and we're asking for tier five. And, 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 the, and the union said no. One of the, 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 I don't know if, if Roger talked about this, one of the, the conditions for us to come back to work during the strike where the mediators were going back and forth from room to room now, the talks had broken down. So now you're just talking about sending mediators back and forth to hotel rooms. One of the conditions was you want us to come back, you got to take Tier 5 uh, and forget about it. You're not going to go to Albany with Tier 5. So even though it's a non-mandatory subject to bargaining, we had to use it as, le- you know, we used the strike as leverage to stop that. And think about 14,000 members and how much money was saved out of their pocket. I'm saying like a hiring of 2,000 per year on average. It could right. be more or less. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, think about even 10,000 members and how much money we saved them because of that strike. People that weren't even working then. That's the same thing Toussaint said, if, especially they were trying to implement Tier 6 during 2005. And people don't understand that the strike was basically to save the newborn. Yeah. The people who, who wasn't you know, part of transit yet. But, you know, it's almost time for us to wrap up. I want you to give the people a final word of whatever, whatever you want to say. We got a contract coming up. All hands are on deck for this one. There is no um, partisan um, sabotage um, coming up. This is straight-up organizing. If the union doesn't organize, we're going to organize for them. We're going to put this thing together. This show will be a big part of it. Tell your friends, tell everybody, they have to listen in. They have to listen in or they have to listen to the, uh, the uploaded uh, recording because this is where you get your information on what's going on. We're going to start our meetings when we have our dates. We're going to be uh, telling everybody on the show and we're going to grow our meetings. And they're going to grow fast because I believe that transit workers care about their future and I believe that transit workers have the confidence that they can make the difference. There you go. And, and Joe no. is, a, is, is a permanent part of the show. Like I said, Joe, you could come up here whenever you would like and uh, to discuss anything, and we could definitely, uh, whatever you want to do. You know what I'm saying? You got the information, and this show is about information. All right, that's great. You guys are doing a wonderful, this is, this is, 
This is historic what you guys are doing. Maybe someday somebody's going to look back at this and say, wow, you know, they wish they were part of this from the beginning. I mean, the information would never get old, so we don't really pay attention to the numbers of, of each show because they're going to grow. Once the, once the word get out, what's being talked about, people going to review these shows, and it's going to go down in history. I know it is. This is it's, it's already historic. And this is going to be a major, major uh, tool for us to use to organize and mobilize a membership for a good contract and beyond. Oh, yeah. And, and, and there are a few people, you know, the naysayers who are basically going to talk smack or whatever and not, and, not, and not agree with it. But basically, again, it takes time for people to see what, um, what's in front of their face. And that's with anything in life. But with this here, it's going to take time for people to see, you know. Right. Yep. Joe, one, one last word. Anything you want to say? Well, just one, one other thing, guys. It's like, you know, the membership are behind a movement to uh, at least 43% of them were <laughs> last time. A movement to change the union for the better. And um, I believe that those, those members have hope for the future, like I have hope for the future, like you guys have hope for the future. And some of our younger members, they are the hope for the future. And we want to bring them up. All right, let's get it. That is Progressive Action Radio. <laughs> for the day, baby. We out of here.